Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is El Monitor columnist Ali Hashem. Ali has covered Iran in regional affairs for the past 15 years. He previously worked for BBC TV and other media outlets, and he's currently also a research fellow at Lancaster University. His research and writing focuses on the Middle East with an emphasis on sectarianism, Iran, Lebanon, and Iraq. Today, Ali and I will be talking about Iran, its new president, Ibrahim Raisi, and what Raisi's coming to power means for Iranian politics, the fate of the Iran nuclear deal, and Iran's policies in the region. My conversation with Ali Hashem begins now. Ali, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you very much, Andrew, for uh, inviting me to you know, this interview. So I look forward to uh, answer as much as possible of your questions. Well, I look forward to hearing from you on what's happening in Iran. And let's start with a piece you wrote for us last month, that the election of Ibrahim Raisi as president of Iran represents what you call the rise of the Hezbollahis. Tell us yeah. what you mean by that. Well, the Hezbollahis um, are more of the, um, what I can call the um, hardline ideologues of the Islamic Republic. Um, these um, young, because most of them are from the younger generations, and, and they look forward to uh, take Iran into a new, a new phase of the Islamic Revolution, which is the phase where the society, the government, uh, everyone in, in the country will all be on the same page with respect to the uh, uh, revolutionary objectives of the, of the, of the establishment. Um, these uh, men and women who are under the Hezbollahi uh, banner, um, many of them were uh, IRGC uh, members, uh, people who were with the Basij uh, organization, people from within the establishments, their um, religious, uh, they have their own uh, their own culture, they have their own uh, way of thinking, they have their own vision of, of Iran. And they've been working on this for the past years. It did not start yesterday. It starts, it's, this started uh, almost 20 years ago. And uh, it, it, it went through different phases and, and different levels. Even the election of Ahmadinejad in, in, in 2005, um, uh, resembled one of these faces, though Ahmadinejad proved at the end that he wasn't the, the, the right guy for him. Uh, today, with Ibrahim Baisi, things are different. Um, they are more mature than they were before. Uh, they know more what they want, and they have the tools to push their own objectives and their own, uh, um, their own vision uh, for, for, for the Iran they want. Um, in, the, in the way they see it, uh, the right. So these are the Hezbollahis. I, I believe that also the Hezbollahis, the new Hezbollahis of, of Iran, are um, a clear manifestation of the transition from Khomeinism to Khamenaism. 
So whereas the new the, the, the supreme leader today, Ayatollah Khamenei, is putting uh, in front of everyone his own school of thought that he was building over the past um, 31 years, 32 years. Uh, Ali, it, this movement and trend that you're describing, is it fair to say that it's a, a, a top-down trend rather than a bottom-up trend? Because the voter turnout in this last election was noted by apathy, uh, the lowest turnout ever, 48.8%. Well, uh, with respect to this, to this election, I think it was, it was clear to the establishment that there is going to be a low turnout. It was uh, obvious. Um, given uh, the, the, the fact that uh, this time, from the beginning, there were uh, several uh, steps that were taken and were showing that this is going to be the end game. This goes back to the parliamentary elections in uh, 2020, uh, when the uh, Guardian Council vetted many of the, vetted the, the, the candidates, and there were many of the, uh, um, I can call the moderates of the, or the reformists, uh, not given the, the permission to, to, to run for the election or were disqualified. Uh, this happened then, and we saw the parliament or the majlis they, uh, going towards a majority, a full majority of, of uh, principalists or what, uh, what are called also as hardliners. Um, this was like the first step. The second step was clearly with this uh, election, the presidential election. Um, now, there is a new phase that I think we're going to, to witness. So, the, but there is a point with respect to the elections. The, the, the establishment was, uh, or regarded this election as the first election after uh, four years of war, because they saw that Trump's years in, in the United States, the Trump term, was a kind of a war for Iran. And that's why uh, they're dealing with it as, as if this country is coming out of the war and they want everyone to be on one page. They're not ready for any nuanced uh, position or any attempt to uh, present the uh, uh, revolutionary Iran uh, position for outside or inside in a different way. Uh, that's why I can call this as a, a war government, a government that is going to deal with a a situation the Iranian establishment sees as a, a very, um, a very delicate and very sensitive. And that's why turnout didn't really mean uh, as, a, as a main objective for them, though they wanted to get as much possible voters uh, as they can. And what they were able to get was the 48% who voted in there in the last elections, though, as uh, uh, was uh, written in Al Monitor and, and, and many other outlets, there were uh, more than 10% of the votes, um, void, void votes. Ali, you mentioned the rise of the principalists or conservatives in, in the parliament and the election of 2020. And just to put some numbers on that dramatic turnaround you described, the conservatives took 221 out of 290 seats. That's an increase of 138 seats from 2016. And the reformist coalition led by Rouhani dropped from 121 seats to 20. 
Now, does this mean the reform movement is dead in Iran? Well, the, the reform movement has been in the, in the phase of fragmentation for years now. Uh, the, the emergence of Rouhani in 2013 was a kind of a, um, uh, an attempt to, to save this path, this political path. But this political path is already facing several challenges. Besides being uh, fragmented in this way, uh, it's already facing uh, challenges of leadership. It's already facing challenges of, of uh, uh, the, the, the Iran they want to see. They have different views on on what Iran they want to see. Uh, at the same time, there is a, a big issue with their own supporters base. Whereas many of, the, of, of those who used to support the reform move are kind of either seeing it as uh, unable to achieve or uh, starting to build a different uh, vision that uh, contradicts in a way or another with the with the main with the mainstream the, the mainstream of the reformists mainstream, that's why it's it's not easy for the reform movement at the current uh, situation to uh, um, revive itself. This is one. The second issue is that even Rouhani himself wasn't a reformist. The whole team with, with Rouhani were not reformists. The team that Rouhani led in the in Iran for the last eight years um, were a team of pragmatists. They were, they were mainly either former uh, officials uh, under uh, Hashimi Rafsinjani uh, during his uh, government time, or were more of technocrats who um, were in the, in, the, in the establishment for years, such as Hamad Jawad Zarif and, and others. So yes, reformists were there as a supporter base, but they were not there as, as uh, um, partners in, in ruling Iran. And this was also uh, reflected on their own um, hopes because they had a lot of hopes. In 2013, when Rouhani won the elections, there were many hopes from the reformist camp. They had uh, hopes, a lot of hopes, but later on they discovered that Rouhani wasn't able really to, to achieve what they wanted. Even he had his own agenda. And it wasn't, it wasn't a reformist agenda neither a principalist agenda. It was Rouhani's agenda. And this agenda was, was faced with uh, fierce resistance from his rivals, the, uh, the uh, principalists, and was also uh, faced with a lot of, of uh, ailing hopes from his allies, the reformists. Ali, let's turn to the Iran nuclear deal. And I want to set the question up this way. Uh, it seems uh, from the outside that the nuclear deal signed in 2015 was the best and worst of times for Rouhani and his foreign minister, Mohammad Javad Zarif. Uh, it was a great success and very popular when it was signed. And we recall the parades and acclamation uh, at that time. The economic uh, boost was substantial and Rouhani uh, continues to talk about it. And then it became, uh, after President Trump withdrew from the deal in May 2018, it became the catalyst for the conservative backlash that has been used to deal this devastating blow for the reformists. I don't know if you would agree with 
that characterization. And I wonder if you think the Iranian deal, still uh, the nuclear deal, Iranian nuclear deal still has popular appeal. And if you think Raisi will pick up where Rouhani left off and close that deal. Well, Andrew, the, the issue is that when the deal was stroking in Vienna in 2015, and even before, you know, because there were several steps before, uh, there, were, there was a lot of hope in Iran for this deal because they thought this is going to change everything. This is going to get them out of the uh, era of sanctions, out of the pressure uh, that they were under for the past years. Even this was going to maybe change in the dynamics of politics inside, inside Iran. Um, but this deal, despite the fact it was strong, it was good for both sides, because mainly it was a deal between the United States of America and Iran. Other partners were just partners in this deal, but the main, the main two uh, players were, were Washington and Tehran. And that's why when Washington opted out from the deal, things started just, you know, uh, uh, went to, 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 to that dramatic end. Now, the other issue is that with respect to the uh, um, bottom lines of both sides, the Iranian establishment and the American establishment, there was still a big gap. Now, they were trying to over, over, overcome this, these gaps or bridge these gaps with what I can call maybe as temporary uh, um, uh, settlements. But at the end, there was going to be a moment of truth and they were going to face each other on, on these issues. For example, Iran's position from Israel, Iran's uh, uh, regional influence, Iran's uh, um, ballistic missiles program, Iran's space program, the United States presence in the Middle East, the United States influence in Afghanistan and Iraq, or, you know, all these issues were going to be uh, one day on another table. Now, maybe both sides were thinking that this, is, this, this could help in building the bridges of, of, let's say, trust between them, whereas they could be able, they could maybe chat or, or negotiate or talk or you know, engage in, in any way on, on these issues. But these issues, in, at least from my own point of view, weren't really uh, negotiable, at least for, for, for example, Iran's position from Israel, Iran's ballistic missiles program. These, these are not negotiable for the establishment of Tehran because for it, these are, main pillars of its own strategy. So based on that, the end, the end game of the nuclear deal was, in a way or another, was expected, but, but not now. So if, if Trump wasn't the president for the four years uh, that he was, maybe Hillary Clinton was, was to be. Other problems were to rise between the two, two countries. And these problems were going to be uh, uh, dealt with in a different way because there was a, a, a moderate government, a pragmatic government in Tehran, and uh, an establishment that represents the revolutionary idols of, of, of uh, I mean, for the revolution. So uh, what happened is that Trump made things faster, whereas now they are really facing the real questions. Now, with respect to today's government in, in Tehran, Baisi's government, um, personally, I don't see that it, that the JCPOA is going to be the first priority. This is an issue that should be taken into consideration. This is one. For the past years, the Iranians started learning how to deal with the status quo, how to deal with the uh, uh, pressure, how to deal with the sanctions. Yes, they're facing a lot of problems, 
but they are starting to get out of the hole. And this is for Khamenei himself, Khamenei in person. This means a lot because he was preaching, he was advocating for the past years on how to deal with the situation whereas there is no deal, there, is no, there are sanctions, and Iran continuing its own, uh, um, we call its own economic growth, uh, its own progress, and its own development without relying on anyone. So today, this is, this is the issue that I think the government is going to deal with, the new government in Iran is going to deal with. Yes, if there is a deal, the way they want the deal, they don't mind. But if there is going to be a deal with concessions, they're not ready to give any concessions. And we saw for the past few months that the uh, uh, talks reached one point, whereas there, was no, there were no new developments since then. And everyone was talking, we have so, we have so, but nothing was really changing because the main points, the killer points, weren't possible to be negotiated because uh, it, that, that's the gap between the American bottom line and the Iranian bottom line. And now with the new government coming to, to, to power, we, we don't know really who's going to be the foreign minister or who is going to be the uh, national security uh, secretary general. But at the end, whoever is going to be there, they're not going to represent themselves. They are going to represent the establishment. And this time, I think Khamenei made it clear through a video that uh, his Instagram uh, account posted a few weeks ago. He is going to be the moderate and they are going to be the hardliners. So the government is going to be the hardliners and he, the supreme leader, is going to be the, the moderate. He said this when he was talking about the ballistic missiles cap, whereas he said uh, it's going to be 2,000 kilometers. We knew this before because we heard it from IRGC commanders, but it was the first time we hear it from the boy, from, from Khamenei himself. He said, my brothers wanted to be 4,000, 5,000, 4,000 or 5,000 kilometers, but I'm saying it's better to be 2,000. So he's advocating that he is going to be the moderate within a group of hardliners. And this is going to complicate things more and more. Ali, is there not, however, a political as well as an economic incentive for Raisi? Uh, aren't Iranians uh, tired of being isolated? Don't uh, Iranians want the economic boost that can come from uh, a new JCPOA uh, and the kind of integration into the international economy, including uh, investment and, and trade opportunities, which uh, the government has been missing uh, for decades uh, and certainly was an expectation when, when the deal was signed. And in fact, Zarif in his... Um, final statement on the JCPOA uh, talked about these uh, or referenced these kind of missed opportunities with regard to investment. Are those an incentives or don't they matter uh, given this political trend you're describing? Yes, maybe before they were incentives, but today I think we are, we are talking in a different, in a different situation. The, the rules of the game are changing. What these people, what the establishments right now in Tehran wants is different from from what maybe Rouhani's government wanted. And that's why we're seeing Raisi, the president. That's why we might see someone like Jalili or Bakari 
uh, as foreign minister or, or uh, uh, on the National Security Council. And you know, right now it seems that the, the, the whole file is going to be transferred from the foreign ministry to the National Security Council, and you know, that makes things also uh, different from the from the beginning, from at least uh, from 2013 till now, from the beginning. So, uh, yeah, I think the Iranians are are, are making their mind uh, seriously on on the whole on the whole um, concept of of engaging on the JCPOA. And, and in the past uh, couple of years, since they started changing in their own nuclear strategy, uh, they started um, uh, developing their own uh, program in a different way. Uh, with the excuse of the uh, American or Trump's administration's exit from the nuclear deal, they started changing the nuclear program. And today, they are they are uh, um, enriching uranium up to sixty percent. Uh, they are threatening to enrich uranium up to ninety percent. There are a lot of of things being said on Iran being right now. Just on the on the on the threshold, so yeah, I think I think right now the establishment in Iran wants to be able to take a decision. They maybe they are uh, still abiding, as as Khamenei said from the beginning, by the fatwa that uh, prohibits uh, uh, producing a, a nuclear weapon. But they want to be able to produce a nuclear weapon at the time they decide to do that. But this was this was a result of four years of the maximum pressure strategy and also was a, a result of the, the sabotage that took place over the past years of Iran's nuclear sites, uh, assassination of Mohsen Fahrizadeh, and all these things. These added to the Iranians' concerns. This added to uh, Khamenei's, uh, um, uh, um, his own, his own uh, uh, doctrine on not trusting the West and not trusting the United States in the size. This is what he was saying from the beginning, since 2013, even when he allowed his own negotiators to go to Oman and to speak with the Americans, even when they accepted the nuclear deal, he was still saying, you can't trust the Americans. And the Trump years helped him in, in stressing his own point of view. So today, yes, for the Iranians, JCPOA, if, they, if, if, if it goes with their own uh, um, with their own uh, conditions, yes, they are going to go for it. But if it's not going to serve their own interests, at least for my, from my own point of view, I see that it's not going to be their own priority at all. Let's turn to some of the regional issues. I know you're tracking the situation uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, Zarif hosted some of the Afghan parties to talks in, in Tehran a few weeks ago. What does Iran see as the opportunities and risks following the U.S. withdrawal in Afghanistan? I know the situation now in Afghanistan is different from the day the Americans uh, invaded Afghanistan at the beginning of the millennium, or when the Russians left Afghanistan at uh, the end of the, the 80s. Uh, this time, Iran already uh, has its own well-trained army of fighters. Those thousands of Afghani fighters who helped the Iranians in Syria and were fighting there are now you know, ready and well-trained to play a role in future Afghanistan. This is one. Another issue, the relations with Taliban is different. Today, Taliban 
are coming to Tehran, they're meeting the Iranians, they're on good terms with them. They are even able to bring them together with the Afghani officials on tape on a table to talk, despite if this is going to, to reach anywhere or not, because there are other paths uh, going on in, in Qatar and different places. But Iran is more influential in, in, in Afghanistan today uh, as from, from what it was before. I think today Afghanistan is, it's not like Iraq in 2003, but it's a new opportunity for the Iranians to expand their own influence in the region, to create more and more uh, uh, power uh, to uh, negotiate on, on one side, to pressure on another side, and to influence uh, on the third side. So to them, there are some threats, maybe with respect to uh, with respect to the government falling to Taliban, because I believe, despite the fact they have good relations with Taliban, they have their own militias in Afghanistan, they are still keen on keeping a strong government, I mean, at least a government, a solid government in, 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 in Kabul. Uh, this, is, this is an issue the Iranians are really uh, keen on. Uh, but this doesn't mean that they are not able to, to, to play with different cards they already have. The, the, the security uh, concern is there. The, the, the water concern is there. Many other concerns are there. But I think today the Iranians are in, in a better place to create a new situation in Afghanistan. I think it's for, for them. You mentioned Iraq. I know you were there uh, recently. You interviewed Prime Minister Mustafa al-Qadami. Help us understand the Iranian interest in Iraq. And do those armed groups or popular mobilization units, as they're known, those groups which are linked to Iran, are they under the direct command and influence of the IRGC? Or are they independent actors? And how do you see the situation playing out, especially with regard to the sensitive issue of the US troop deployment there? Well, Andrew, since the assassination of, of uh, Major General Qasem Soleimani and Abdel Mohandes Mohandes the beginning of, of 2020, things started changing in, in Iraq or Iran. One of the issues is that the relation with the armed groups started changing in a way or another. Uh, the relation with the government also started changing in, a, in another way. Um, now, the Iranian influence, at least from my own point of view, from what I know, is less than it was before on many armed groups, though they are still, they are still able to, to influence them, but it's not the same like, like it was before. At least what I heard from Prime Minister Khadimi, you know, his, his relations with the Iranians are not bad, anyway. the same as he's He's on good terms with the Americans. He's on good terms with the Iranians also. And this is, this is uh, something I understood from many issues I saw in front of me there. The situation whereas these armed groups were able to have their own uh, financial independence in a way or another um, for some time, helped them in creating their own list of, of I mean, their own interests, interest lists. Whereas, they have their own interests, they have their own objectives that are also, uh, in a way or another, could be different from the ones of, of Iran. And uh, it, it's not necessary if Iran is on good terms with uh, President, uh, Prime Minister Khadimi, that uh, these armed groups like uh, Khadimi. And 
this is this was this was reflected in in several uh, occasions. So yes, the Iranians today in, in Iraq are in a, in a different situation. Um, they are trying to gather Muslims together. They they are trying right now to create a new sort of relation with government, and this is not um, into the interest of some of the armed groups. And that's why we are seeing a lot of um, called sabotage. Sometimes uh, some groups are um, launching rockets, and it's not it's not the Iranians. At least this is what they are saying. This is what they are saying. And this is what the prime minister is saying. This is what Padmi told me when I met him. He said on several occasions it, it, it wasn't the Iranians who, who asked these groups to launch rockets. It was that they want they took the decision and they launched the rockets for their own interest. Now, how much this is accurate? How much this is uh, true? I think. This should be investigated by us, reporters and journalists, to to come to a to a real conclusion. Let's turn to Syria. Is uh, Iran content with its position in Syria, and how do you see relations evolving among the Syrian government, the Iranian government, and Russia? Well, it seems there is a status quo now in Syria. Things are kind of calm in a way or another. Um, now, uh, the Iranian-Russian um, competition for influence in the country is not going to stop. But this is not going out of control. Uh, I think the, the Syrians themselves are trying to, right now, um, put things into, into, into a, a certain uh, frame, whereas people could share this influence without impacting or affecting the, the government or the, the whole uh, uh, establishment in, in Syria. Now, the Iranians today uh, are still having their own uh, interests in areas like uh, East Syria, and this is uh, creating an issue with the Americans. We saw several uh, American air raids on Iranian uh, positions there, Iranian groups or Iranian militias, or even Iranians themselves in these areas. But the situation in Syria right now, I think it's not it's not too much under focus because there is nothing nothing much happening on the ground. Um, Assad, I think uh, in the, the current uh, uh, moment, or at least yesterday, I think or the day before yesterday, was able to uh, make uh, he was uh, okay, let me just repeat this. So just uh, two days ago, Assad was inaugurated for a new term. I mean, okay, this is. Uh, not uh, news, but at the end to the Iranians, this means a lot in uh, showing the picture of a country that was able to get out of a situation of war, a situation whereas the president is being inaugurated. I mean, he's the same president that they were uh, fighting for for the past 10 years now. So in a way or another, this is a kind of a victory for the Iranians. This is what they see. It's also a victory for the, for the Russians. But well, as I told you, the sharing influence or competing for influence is what ha what's happening right now. It's happening in a, in a silent way. Ali, we're um, running out of time, but I want to ask uh, two more questions uh, briefly, although they're topics that we could go on at, at length about. What about the uh, Iranian perception of its interest in Lebanon, given the difficult uh, governance situation there? Uh, how is its relationship with Hezbollah and how does it see 
the current situation in Lebanon? Well, Andrew, uh, as for Lebanon, relations between Iran and Hezbollah, I mean, they're not relations. Hezbollah is an organic extension of the Wilayat al-Fatih doctrine. So they are Lebanese, indigenous Lebanese, but at the same time, they share with the, with the Iranians the same, the same idea, the same I mean, the Iranian establishment, the same uh, doctrine. Uh, that's why I don't think that anything is going to change with respect to this, to this factor. This is going to continue. The more Hezbollah is strong in Lebanon, the more the Iranians are influential in Lebanon. Now, the fact that the government is uh, ailing, there is no government actually in Lebanon. There is a uh, power vacuum right now. Um, there is real issues with respect to everything from economic crisis to political crisis to social crisis. Uh, what's happening is that the more the government is disintegrated, the more uh, the, 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 the situation is uh, getting complicated, the more the Shia community are being uh, reliant on, on Iran and Hezbollah because they are providing them with, with aids, they are uh, becoming the, the, what I can call the de facto government or de facto ruler over here in many areas. And um, this is this is not changing uh, uh, anything for for uh, America or any of the other influencers or who are trying to, to influence the situation. Uh, it's changing it to, to the worst and not to the better, because the more the pressure is going to to add on Lebanon, uh, the more people are going to to resort to their own uh, sects and to the governments that are backing their sects and their sectarian leaders. So. The situation is going to, to be complicated more and more. And then, whenever uh, there is a table to talk Lebanon, Iran is going to be present on that, on that table, either by itself or through Hezbollah, who, as I said at the beginning, is an uh, organic extension of the, of the doctrine that's ruling Lebanon. Last question Do you expect Iran's support for Hamas and Islamic Jihad to increase under Raisi? Are more of the same in terms of Iran's engagement with Palestinian groups. Well, I think this this uh, government is going to show more support. Now, with respect to financial support, I don't think this is an issue that governments really decide. On. But we we're going to see more vocal uh, support, more uh, the new foreign minister, the new president are going to have a stronger uh, statements, stronger stances on uh, supporting Hamas and uh, the Islamic Jihad, maybe we will see more picture of them meeting their leaders. What, I mean, with respect to the, 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 the solid support, the financial support, the uh, logistic support, these are issues that the IRGC deals with. So it's not going to, to really matter who's, who's running the run, the government. Ali. This was great. Thank you for taking the time today. And, and thank you for your many contributions to Al Monitor over the years. You were one of our original uh, contributors. And I know our readers and today our listeners very much appreciate uh, getting your take on what's happening in the Middle East. Thank you very much, Andrew, to you, to Al Monitor, and to our listeners. And for sure, we can, I'll, I'll continue to write uh, whenever there's something new for me. Thank you. Look forward to that. We will return after this short break.
I'm Ben Kaspit, I'll monitor veteran columnist reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I am glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. Thanks again to our guest, Ali Hashem, and to our production team of Phil Calabro of Al Monitor and Beowulf Rochelin of Two Square Media Productions. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will return next week. And in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other Al Monitor podcast, On Israel, at your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.